Blog Talk Radio. If it's smooth jazz, then the Jazz Queen is talking about it on Talking Smooth Jazz. Your place for all things smooth. With the smoothest show on the internet radio, your host, the Jazz Queen. Hello and welcome to Talking Smooth Jazz. My name is Terry, a.k.a. the Jazz Queen. It is Sunday, March 28th, 2020. Um, if you would like to join us in the chat room, please go to TalkingSmoothJazz.com. Click on Listen Live above Warren Wolf's picture that will bring you into the chat room. The phone number is 646 5485. We welcome your questions and our comments for Warren. Just follow the prompts um, to get on the phone. So my guest today is vibraphonist Warren Wolf. His new release is called Reincarnation, and it's sort of a rebirth for him. He's going back to his uh, love for the R&B and soul. So Warren, welcome to the show. Happy to have you on. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And so now Joshin in Germany, um, who I was telling you about, referred you to me. He just popped into the chat mm-hmm. room. So Joshin, I wanted to be sure to give you credit for referring Warren to me for the interview. And um, thank you so much for that. And thank you again for hanging out, as always. So Warren, now I read that you've been playing the vibraphone since you were three years old. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I started playing when I was three, so that gives me 37 years uh, mm-hmm. performing now. I like to look at my career as, uh, two, in two different halves. I have the younger version, like from three until about 13, and then there was a hiatus from about seven, uh, 13 until I was uh, 20 years old or 21. That was when I graduated from college. I graduated from the Berkeley um, College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. So Basically, I got started because of my dad, Warren Wolf Sr. He was a history teacher in the Baltimore City Public Schools, but on the side, he had a band uh, that played all around Baltimore, Washington, called Wolfpack. And mm-hmm. they were, they pretty much played everything. You know, every now and then they would play like some of the soul jazz, like Stanley Torrentine and, and Grover Washington. And then they would easily, and I'm talking about this was like the late 80s to mid 90s. Uh, they would play, like I said, Stanley Tarantino, Grover Washington, and then easily go and play something like um, from Spiral Gyra to the Yellow Jacket to Anita Baker. And then they would really go back and play something by like the Stylistics or, or uh, the, the um, Temptations. And, you know, and then maybe every now and then they would throw something about Charlie Parker or Miles Davis. But uh, just hearing those sounds, you know, they would rehearse over at our house on the weekends, like really late. And I was always intrigued by the sounds coming from our basement. So my dad started started me playing uh, vibes and multiple other instruments at the age of three. And uh, it was something that I was just brought up on, you know, for a very long time. <laughs> how, at the age of three, I mean, how did he teach you? Did he put the mallets in your hand? Did he just, like, you know, hold your hand and show you how to play it that way? Definitely. So he would put me on the, on the chair, and he would, you know, just say, here, let's play this. And he would just take my hands and just play, like, little tiny melodies. It could be something simple like uh, the ABCs, you know, the ABC mm-hmm. melodies. And, but he would notice how quickly I would pick it up. 
you know, most kids don't do that. So, mm-hmm. um, I think around that time I was in uh, fourth grade. Uh, I'm sorry, fourth grade. I was four years old in kindergarten, and uh, mm-hmm. I joined the, uh, the the little school band that we had. And I was clearly just way ahead of everybody. So my dad started and giving me private lessons. He enrolled me at the Peabody Preparatory here in Baltimore, and uh, I started taking classical lessons with a guy named Leo LePage. Leo LePage was, was a member of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra and uh, in the percussion section. And I took lessons with him for almost seven to eight years. And, you know, to be honest, I thought I was training to be a class, classical percussionist because I was, I was really good at it. Um, but one of my, mer- my first tours was at the age of seven. I toured with the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra for two weeks. Uh, we played a piece called the uh, Seven Years Old. We played a, a piece called the uh, Pop Piper Fantasy, if you know the story of the Pop Piper of Hamlet. And um, seven years old, and then from there, from the age of seven up until 17, I was pretty much playing with the Baltimore Symphony on and off as a lead soloist. And, um, but be, right around that time, like during my high school years, I pretty much knew that I was not going to have a career in uh, classical music. I was like, it was something about just something about improvisation, you know, and, and the style of jazz and everything else. Is what it, it, it just kept pulling at me. You know, it's just it's like a, if I had a, a a giant doll with jazz written on it, the, the doll was pulling me and saying, "Come on, come on over here, come on over here." And pretty much when I graduated from the Baltimore School of the Arts and and uh, in uh, 1997, I was pretty much done with classical music, and that's when I went to uh, Berkeley in the fall of 1997. So. Now, at seven years old, uh, what were you playing, percussion or the vibraphones? I was actually playing the marimba. It's the marimba ah. you know, is like, uh, like the big brother of the vibraphone. Um, but I was playing the marimba vibes. I was playing drum set. I was also playing like Things that are associated with orchestral percussion, such as the, the timpani, triangle, you know, a lot of those instruments, a lot of people look at it and think it's easy, but it's really a certain technique to all of them. But I would mm-hmm. play anything that had to do with total percussion um, overall. It, it was just required. If, you, if you're going to go to a school like the schools I went to, they didn't, like, baby you along. You, you yeah. had serious instruction, along with my uh, daily practice schedule. So, you know, my schools typically like elementary and middle school. I went to school at eight o'clock, got out around three. And, you know, in those days, you know, I grew up in a rough part of Baltimore, but it was still kind of safe to come home by yourself. I came home, mm-hmm. you know, did my little did the homework and things like that. But then by the time my dad got home, we would be in the basement practicing from five thirty PM until seven o'clock. Um, five mm-hmm. days a week. And that lasted from the age of three up until the time I left home at seventeen. Wow. On top of having on top of having private lessons on Saturdays at uh at Peabody. And in the summertime just to keep me just to keep me safe and keep keep me straight so I wouldn't get into any trouble with a lot of people in Baltimore, my dad would double that up. So I would practice from one o'clock until two thirty, go outside and, you know, play with friends, have a break and then come back in and practice again from five thirty to seven o'clock. So I had okay. many, 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 many hours. <laughs> we are experiencing a shelter um, <laughs> in home situation now, but you actually was doing that when you were studying this instrument. Oh yeah, yeah, this is something I'm very much used to. So I, I was definitely sheltered 
practicing a lot. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So, now, have you ever thought about not playing the vibraphone or quitting um, playing it? Um, of course. There are times. There, there were times um, in my younger years. It's like when you're just practicing so much and you see all your friends outside, you know, they're out there doing whatever. And like I said, I did that too, but I just didn't do it to the degree that they did it, you know. One of my favorite sports is basketball. I can't play basketball at all. However, I can play football. You know, my, the size that I have, you know, most people would assume that I'm like a, a a small NFL running back, even though I, you know, I don't have any type of football skills, but I can play a little bit. So there were plenty of times, you know, just being in the basement, you know, when my dad would be, you know, tell me, play, play this concerto right here, play this sonata. And I would just be, you know, I don't really feel like doing this. It's hot in here. I would be outside. But my dad, you know, he he was very militant. I mean, he wasn't like a like a like a jerk sergeant. You know, it was just like the way that he was brought up. You know, my dad, yeah. like I said, he was a he was a teacher, but he was also a, a Vietnam veteran. He went to Vietnam, so he really wanted his children to, you know, to, just to stay focused. And, you know, I have some friends who talk about that. You know, they, they say when it comes to music, if you really want to be successful, you have to have many years of folk study. And, you know, when I look back at it, that's exactly what I had. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, Joshin in the chat room has a question. Is playing the vibraphone mm-hmm. more difficult than the piano? Looks very difficult hitting the right tone using four mallets. No, it's not. Um, one great thing about the vibes is that once you hit the instrument, you already have a natural sound. It's not like anybody else uh, or any other instrument where you have to adapt to the reeds or the mouthpiece or find the right bow, find the right drumstick or things like that. Or even when piano, you know, you have to have a certain touch. But with the vibes or marimba or a xylophone, once you strike the instrument, you already have a sound. Now, I mean, that could be slightly adjusted. Like if you have a different mallets, that always alters the sound. But overall, both instruments are pretty much the same. Um, they're shaped the same, except there's no black and white keys. You know, in the vibraphone, it's either silver or gold, just depending on which type of vibes you have. Um, okay. They're pretty much the same. And then, you know, of course, on piano, you have to learn how to do the correct fingering and scales and the main thing about the piano is making sure you get that thumb out of the way because the thumb is all dependent. You know, once you get the thumb out of it, you can pretty much do it all. So, okay. Very and do you have to tune a vibraphone like you have to tune a piano? Never. The you never have to tune the instrument. Um, the vibraphone will never go out of tune unless you are playing the instrument. With with a hammer, <laughs> like that, you actually just banging the instrument. I was throughout the year. There's been times because of, I, I would say over the years, like the, a, an instrument that my dad had, I had to change one bar, maybe because I had like a a hairline fracture, so you can mm-hmm. replace that bar. Um, but no, that the instrument is, is not something you have to tune at all. The uh, marimba, on the other hand, which is wooden, that can possibly crack if you hit it hard enough. Mm-hmm. Over, but that takes many years for that to happen. Um, eventually, you can kind of maybe replace one of those bars, but not the vibes, not really. Mm-hmm. That's middle. You have to be a very strong person to, to if you're going to crack that. <laughs> okay. 
All right. All right. So let's um, talk about reincarnation. And the first question I want to ask you about this release is, was this written for you or was it written for your audience? It was written for my audience. I stopped playing for myself. Well, it it, it is written for me. I mean, I have to like it. (laughs) But I'm definitely playing for my audience. Many years ago, I was the type of musician who will always care and think about what other peers of mine would think about my music. You mm-hmm. know, when, it, when I really come to think about it, really, nine times out of ten, most musicians don't really support other musicians as it is anyway. So I'm always thinking about what will that that normal person who works a nine-to-five job, once, you know, they, they're working all day, and once they buy a ticket and come to see you perform or or they take time to go out and buy your music. I think our jobs as musicians is to take their minds off of whatever they else have going on, whether it's good or bad, and just make them feel good for that 60 minutes or 75 minutes uh, of concerts or what you have on your record. So that's my mindset. I've been thinking like that for like the past three or four years and definitely with this record you know I was, I was like you know what I'm going to do something completely different than what I've been doing over the past uh, 15 years mm-hmm. okay so yeah it it, it reads uh, the bio reads on the album that reincarnation represents a rebirth for you um, mm-hmm. on this so, so this is something that's totally different from your previous releases alright so mm-hmm. my track on here is um, Come and Dance With Me, and that's what I'm going to start with, so tell me about this one. Come and Dance With Me. This is a song that's dedicated to my wife, Heather. Um, she is now retired, uh, a retired ballerina, high school ballerina. Oh. And one of the things that I used to talk to her about all the time, I said, babe, you know, I said, we should do something together. I, I, you know, I told her, uh, I think that a lot of people really like to see a husband and wife doing like a concert on stage. I'm playing while you're dancing. Because oh. she doesn't really want to dance. <laughs> because she doesn't want to dance anymore. She said, you know, no, no, I'm not really into that anymore. I just, she, she would rather speak dance, which is what she's doing. She's the, uh, she, she runs the, a, uh, the entire dance department at, at her private, at a private school here in Baltimore. So I decided to write this tune for her. And it's in a true three four style, like what a lot of what a lot of classical dancers like to dance to. And I, I'm determined. I don't know when it's gonna happen, but I'm determined to get her on stage with me. <laughs> so that's why I can focus this thing for come and dance with me. It's basically come on dance with me, baby. I got something for you. So. That would be beautiful. You're playing this song and she's dancing. That would be absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I would love yeah. to see that myself. All right, from Warren Wolf's new release, Reincarnation, this is Come Dance With Me.
What a beautiful track. Come and dance with me. Yes, I can definitely see you playing that and your wife on stage dancing to that. That is a beautiful track. Thank you very much. Yeah, she's a beautiful person. So, <laughs> Joshin says, for it's not a vibraphone, but a vibe rock phone. And it's such a magical vibe. Yes, I agree. I agree. So now you said that you studied uh, classical music. At what mm-hmm. point, and I know you, you said that you left that and you wanted to do, you know, something else, but at what point did you did make that decision to transition from classical to jazz? Um, it was during my high school years at the uh, Baltimore School for the Arts. Um, when I was there, our jazz teacher, his name is uh, David Stambler, he really started pushing um, – a lot of like classic jazz on us, you know, Miles Davis, Cannonball, Adderley, you know, a lot of folks like that. And I was getting hooked. However, I still had that, you know, the stuff from the, um, the stuff that my dad did with his band that was always in the back of my mind to, you know, to do the stuff that he did, which was a mix of everything, you know, from, like I said, from traditional jazz to smooth jazz to adult contemporary. I was, a fan of that, you know, I still didn't quite understand improv, you know, no matter the, you know, which, no matter the style of jazz we were going to play, you still had to understand some type of improv. And I felt like learning traditional jazz would help me, you know, be prepared for it all. Mm-hmm. So sometime during my high school years, I was like, okay, let's just see what the whole thing takes me. Um once I graduated from there, I still had like a little bit of knowledge, but it wasn't until I got to Berkeley was, which is when everything really came out. So. Okay. Ali in the chat room has a question. When you go on the road, mm-hmm. how is it with a vibraphone? Do you ship it or have one waiting? <laughs> I have never, ever shipped a vibe in my life. Um, there's always one waiting. There's always the, uh, the promoter will always take care of that for me. Many yeah. years ago when I was, um, I remember one of my first tours when I was 21 years old, I had a two-week tour of Japan, and, and the Japanese folks, they um, they called and said, we want you to ship your vibes. I thought that was normal <laughs> at the time, but I, I I wasn't sure at all. I just, you know, me being 21 and, you know, so green, I was just like, all right, cool. And they asked me to uh, send, in, send them the uh, dimensions of, the, uh, of my cases and, and the weight. And once I sent those numbers back to them, they said, actually, we're just going to go ahead and rent for you. And <laughs> it's been that way ever since. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really difficult because at least the vibes that I had at that time, they were only came in three boxes. Three boxes. You had the bars, you know, the keys that I strike, and then you had the, the resonators, and then the actual the body of the instrument. The thing is, because they all are three separate bags, if you just happen to lose one of those, <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. it's all over. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, so I don't, I don't travel with any, anything. Now, every now and then, I might do a show in in my hometown, Baltimore, or in Washington D.C. And because they know I live so close, they'll be like, "Hey, can you just bring your vibes?" But you know, that's very that's that's not too often because you know, I, I don't play around town too much. You know, maybe at max two or three yeah. times per year. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, I want to read a review um, I saw on Amazon. Have you read the reviews on Amazon? No, not yet. 
Okay, here's one. Um, and this is from a lady. She says, has one who studied jazz at the University of Virginia, I have sincere appreciation for all eras of jazz, from beautiful romantic ballads sung by Anita O'Day or Sarah Vaughn to post-bop like Woody Shaw and Wayne Shorter. The magic of jazz is that it has the ability to capture the traditions of so many ethnic groups and ways of being. After listening to In the Heat of the Night, I realized Robert Glasper, while Warren Wolf writes jazz music that makes women want to get their panties ripped off. Has a 40-something single mom <laughs> been a long time since I felt that good listening to a song? Not every millennial has the ability to capture the sensuality of earlier generations while staying true to their musicianship. Older listeners may not completely understand what reincarnation is. This work bridges generations of black music in a way few today can Many want to put black musicians in a box. Warren is one of the few musicians that can play anything from Mozart, Monk, or Music Soul Child with a high degree of intensity. In a different era, he would have been the Wynton Marsalis of, of vibes. I thought that was an excellent review. Wow. I actually love that. <laughs> I'm going to post that on my social media. <laughs> oh, definitely. That was an excellent review. I, I love that. I love that a lot. Well, what I'll say to that is, I mean, whoever that person is who wrote it, thank you. Uh, again, the the person that I was brought up to be, my dad, and I, I mean, it's it's not just him. There's a lot of people who had their their hands into my, uh, like to call it my madness. But <laughs> my dad wanted me, to, like I said, he wanted me to be the complete musician. He didn't mm-hmm. want to be. He he did not want me to be just that person. Like, hey, call Warren just for the dad's gig. Call Warren just for the classical gigs. He wanted me to just basically have knowledge of everything. And then, on top of that, you know, if I'm not practicing jazz with my dad, I have two older sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, my older sister, she's nine years older than me, and then the other one, she's about maybe about four or five years older than me. And I'm a child of the '80s, but they're truly child. I mean, children of the like one of the '70s and '80s. So they grew up listening to a lot of uh, like New Edition and. You know, mm-hmm. all of those types of groups back then. So along with hearing the stuff that my dad was teaching me, I'm hearing this stuff that my, my sisters are playing. So because of them and certain guys I was hanging out with at that time, I had a, like a, a huge introduction to R&B and hip-hop. Mm. So, and I'm talking about like that real hip-hop. Like stuff nowadays, I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I was... Let's see, my my biggest inspiration, like back then, I was a huge fan of, uh, I still am, of, of, of Tupac Shakur. Um, I love Prince. I absolutely love D'Angelo, Stokely from Make Condition. I try to take elements of all of these different artists and put them into my music. So that one tune that she mentioned in the review, In the Heat of the Night, that mm-hmm. tune was super based on... Um, how does it feel by D'Angelo? Ah. Okay. Big time. <laughs> okay. Like it slow slow three, four sexy beat. All right. So now you kinda answered yeah. my next question um regarding your 
growth and development as an artist. But I'm going to ask the question anyway because there's another part to it. How would you describe your own development as an artist and the transition towards your own style or sound? Um, I think the name of the game, and I told this to a lot of my students, is just about stealing ideas. Uh-huh. So, um, when I when I was in high school, I'll tell you something that me and my dad used to do very often. We would play, after we were finished practicing, we would play multiple games of pool, billards. And he would always let me put on the music. And um, one of the songs that I would always gravitate to, I would put on first was a tune called Morning Dance, which is by uh, Spiral Jara. It's one of those tunes that you always hear in the, in the elevator. It's somewhat smooth but and, and it's a little bit of an adult contemporary but anyway mm-hmm. there's a um the, the vibraphone on that track is a guy named dave samuels who just recently passed away um but he actually played the marimba a marimba solo on this song and hearing that solo was one of the things that really started to make me understand improv so i started to try to copy everything about dave samuels playing so and I found out that he worked at Berkeley, and I said, "That's it. I'm going. I'm going to Boston. I'm going to study with Dave." So mm-hmm. I tried to play everything like Dave. I wanted to be like the next Dave Samuels. So I'll never forget it. My first semester, you know, I'm studying with Dave. I'm still trying to play everything that he's playing. I did my jury, and the teachers in there they said to me, "They said, Warren, you sound pretty good, but you, you're playing everything like Dave. You sound just like him." And when I left that room that day, I told myself nobody will ever say that to me again. So mm. I wanted to have my own voice. I was like, how do I do that? How do I actually have my own voice? I want to be very different from everybody. So during that time, I mean, I was checking out other people. Dave Samuels was number one, but I was also listening to a lot of the greats when it comes to the vibraphone. I listened to Lionel Hampton. I listened to Milt Jackson. I listened to Bobby Hutchison, to Gary Burton, up to uh, my man Rory Ayers. I tried to listen to all of those guys. But then I was like, let me do something else that that most vibraphone players would never even think about doing. Instead of listening to all, all these guys who play the same instrument as me, let me go, what would happen if I listened to Charlie Parker? What would happen if I listened to Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, Grover Washington, and, and so forth, and all, all of these other artists? So basically, I would try to steal from each person, this person, this person, this person, this person, and put it into one big ball until a particular sound came out that I thought was was authentic that nobody else would be would think about doing. And it, it was kind of easy for me to actually pick these ideas from these artists because I have perfect pitch and I can pretty much hear anything just like on site, just like that. So um, that was the main thing I did. That was how I tried to, tried to um, create my own sound. Okay. So now Joshin in the chat room says, wow, I just read the article on Vibraphone in Wikipedia. He's on the same list with Lionel Hampton and Rory Ayers. Did you know mm-hmm. that? Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. You, are, you like are in that. excellent company. Thank you. That's something I try not to talk about, really, because I, I, I still like to keep my profile low. But, yes, I knew I was on that same list. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right, so the next two tracks I'm going to play um, is the first track, which is the smooth intro, and then I'm going to go right into track number two for Ma. So tell me about both of mm-hmm. these, and then I'll, just go, I'll go from one to the other. 
smooth intro is something I wanted to kind of fool with the audience on. Um, again, I've, this is my, I believe, seventh or eighth record as a leader. And most people know me as for doing like a, a straight ahead record, straight ahead traditional jazz. So I told my guys when we got to the studio, I said, listen, I'm going to start this song off kind of like, kind of swinging, you know, because I can still do that. But I was like, I'm going to start it off just so I can have people think, uh, here we go, Lauren's going to do another swing record. But then we go straight into this this nice, sultry, laid-back groove. And I wanted everybody to be like, wow, wait, wait, we've never heard him do this. And then what tops it off is my man, um, Marcellus, bass man, Shepard, who was a uh, former um, DJ at Morgan State Radio 88.9 here in Baltimore. And he pretty much sums up the record on the first track. And um, just going into track number two for my that tune is composed from my, my late mother. Her name is Celeste Wolf. She passed away about four years ago. And I would say two or three years before she passed away, she um, she she was in she did early retirement. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to figure out what to do with her with her life. She was like, "What should I do? You know, I'm retired. I don't really have much to do besides, you know, run errands and just see her grandkids and stuff like that." So her and my dad would get together in their studio and she learned how to play piano like really good over the past two years but they would play songs like from their childhood so again going back to all that Motown stuff you know that they that they grew up on all the stuff from Hitsville with Barry Gordy and all those guys so I decided to create a tune kind of I mean the tune is for her but I wanted to kind of make it sound in that in that style a little bit kind of like a little party jam so when you're hearing that tambourine going back and forth throughout their whole track I'm trying to like bring out that Motown sound for her. So again, that tune is just for my mother. And again, her name is Celeste Wolf. All right, so we're gonna start off with smooth intro and then go right into track two for Ma.
This song goes out to my late mother, Celeste Wolf. Rest in heaven. This is for you, Ma.
from Vibraphonist Warren Wolf's Reincarnation CD, you first heard Smooth Intro, and right in after that, the second track for Ma. Now, Joshin in the chat room said that voice on the first track, Tim Garrison couldn't do it better. Tim Garrison is the voice for the intro and outro for my show. And um, mm-hmm. his name, this guy's uh, Joshin, his name is Marcellus. And Warren, if I had to interview Marcellus for, I, I couldn't get through it. I mean, he has a really nice voice. <laughs> I would not be able to get through an interview with him. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's how he talks, like, just in person, too. You know, I was just like, man, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the base man for you. So. Yeah, I'd have to do something, email or something with him. I just couldn't get through that. He also said, Josh yeah. also says, the guitar is on fire. Oh, wait, the whole band is on fire. Yes, yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. All right, I have another review I want to read. And mm-hmm. this one is from GlideMagazine.com. It says, Wolf wanted to prove his versatility. He does that in spades. You can't help but be uplifted uplifted with his gorgeous take on R&B. And you can read that full review at GlideMagazine.com. So really nice reviews there uh, on your music. So now I noticed on your website um, – that you have some dates scheduled, and you know this coronavirus has hit has hit the artists really hard with their concerts and their shows and everything being canceled. Um, so I'm really hoping, keeping my fingers crossed for you that these you know that these dates will go forward for you. Um, so far, I've probably lost um, at least thirty shows. Yeah, and that was in the span of since since two weeks. Um, I was at the time I, w- I was on the road with a wonderful vocalist by the name of uh, Cecile McLaurin Salvant. We were in uh, we were out for a week during doing performing her piece called "Old Grass." It's kind of like a jazz opera, and um, we have four four nights scheduled all in like in California. We have one at University of California, Davis, Oakland, California, Stanford University, and um, Disney, Walt Disney Hall in Los Angeles. And mm. we managed to get through the first date in Davis. So we were on stage um, doing a sound check with the band. And then as we were about to do a full ensemble check, that's when we got the news right there, you know, that that, that show was canceled. And then, you know, just over the next few days, I just received email after email after email after email, you know, that this is canceled or this is rescheduled. So um, as it stands right now, um, I've, I don't have another, another live show scheduled right now, just like many others. It's not just me. Uh, yeah. I don't have another live show scheduled until May, which is pretty hard for, not, for a lot of us um, for multiple reasons. You know, some guys are really – Dependent on the, on the financial side, other people um, will just need to play in general just to keep your chops up. Um, so I've actually been doing my part by, at least for myself, I've been doing a lot of uh, private lessons online because I'm, I'm also an educator. Educator. Um, I also just recently finished another recording for Mac Avenue. This is a Christmas record, so mm-hmm. look out for that this year. We'll we'll be releasing that hopefully in uh uh, maybe late November. So, you know, we'll plan, plan some nice stuff on there. Um, 
And I did a, that's my first live stream show last week at a, at a venue here in Baltimore. And we had about, you know, maybe three or 400 people tuned in. But because this pandemic is getting worse by the day, like like, like we're saying, the stuff changes like every day. It's yeah. harder to get people to actually, I mean, they, they have the will to want to come out and, and play play with me like, or do something small, but people want to stay safe, and I understand that. And my wife is telling me the same thing. She's like, you know, just kind of stay put. You just, let's just be cool. We'll get through this over time. So I guess this is kind of an okay time for me to kind of relax, but at the same time, I really don't want to because I have this record that just came out, and I think it's really good. And, you know, it's, I can't even really promote it like how I want to, at least from the stage. So right mm-hmm. now I have to do all I can possibly do if I just continue to talk about it online, uh, do interviews like I'm doing with yourself or doing with you. And, and, you know, I just have to keep doing it like that for now. So And that's just the reality for myself and many others. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Keep doing the online um concerts, living room concerts, because a lot of people who may not have met, know who you are or seen you before, get a chance opportunity to see you that way. And then when you guys do come back out, you know, they will come out and see you live. So keep that up, because we appreciate that. Definitely. We definitely appreciate that. Um, it's been really nice to, to see these concerts and these online concerts and stuff. So we really appreciate mm-hmm. that. All right, so let, I'm going to close the show with Sebastian and Zoe. Tell me about this one. This is a tune dedicated to my two youngest kids. I'm a father of five, actually. Um, my uh, first marriage went nine years, so I have two, three, three kids from my first marriage. There are my oldest daughter is 19, my two sons are 16 and 13. But then I got mm-hmm. remarried. To, to my ballerina wife, <laughs> and we had two kids, Sebastian, so they're only five and three years old, and as much as they love each other, they they act like they're like in a wrestling ring or something like that, because they love fighting each other, but they, again, it's, it's all love, so um, I wanted to tell a story about them two, and, you know, like the first time that I saw them, you know, just watching them over their young lives, just, you know, just watching little everyday mannerisms, you know, just little, little things that I noticed about them. I just wanted to tell a little story about them. Okay. And then I'm also going to add the outro to that um, as well when that finished mm-hmm. playing. All right. So let everyone know where they can find you on social media. On social media, my handle is pretty much the same on all three. It's a Warren Wolf one all one word W A R R E N W O L F the number one and you can find me on Instagram Facebook and Twitter and if you want to reach me um, at my website www.warrenwolfmusic.com and uh, again like I said on the educator side if there are any people out there who are listening who would like to study with me uh, you can reach me on social media and officially in the classroom I'm at the uh, Peabody Conservatory of Music in Baltimore and the San Francisco Conservatory of Music in San Francisco, California. Wow. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you giving me the time to speak with you and my let my listeners, uh, you know, introduce my listeners to you and your music. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And um, I want to thank Joshin as well for the referral. Thank you, Joshin. Um, 
uh, I am going to close the show, like I said, with Sebastian and Zoe, and then there's an outro with this Marcellus voice guy. So I will play the outro as well. My name is Terry, a.k.a. The Jazz Queen. You've been listening to Talking Smooth Jazz, and I look forward to Talking Smooth Jazz with you again next time. Until then, keep it smooth. Goodbye. This one here is for my wolf baby. You win.
laid out on many levels with some groove, funk, and sensuous balance. If you didn't know, now you know. What's his name? Born Wolf. Now go tell somebody. Thank you for listening to Talking Smooth Jazz. Follow the Jazz Queen on Twitter at Jazz underscore Queen on Facebook and Instagram at Talking Smooth Jazz. And visit the website, TalkingSmoothJazz.com.